let's talk about vetting, because、yeah. you know it's very easy for people to say, "Hey, I know this, he know that, and let's partner up."、Yeah. What are we? What are you looking for? Say, if today you're going to restart, you're going to look for new partners or whatnot. What、yeah. would be the thing that you look out for? So the first and foremost thing I always look out for is an alignment of how we feel about our passive investors.、Um, if I have a sponsor or co-sponsor that's proposing right and wants to work together, and they're like, "Well, we need to get paid," and they're they're fee centric or they're focused on their own income first. Interest. That's just not yeah their own interest. It's just not something that aligns with me because how we built our brand and how we've been able to raise. Like we can, we raise like fifty million dollars in eight weeks, right? And it's all retail capital; it's not institutional capital. And the way we've really done that is by building strong, trusting relationships with our LPs. And so, if I'm going into business with someone and partnering with someone, and they're like, "Oh, hey, we want to make sure we get paid first. We don't really care if our investors make money. Like that's just not does not align with how we built our company." And The investors are the lifeblood of our company, and so I want someone who feels that strongly about taking care of their investors that they're going to make sure that they are doing what they can to take care of LPs first before we get we eat, we eat last, right? That's hands down the first thing.、Um, the second、mm-hmm. thing I would say to newer investors: when you meet a potential partner, right? Like it gets like really exciting, and everybody like loves each other, and everyone's about to go out and make money, and like. That's all great when things are good. What about when things don't go well, right? Like that's when partnerships start to, you know, the cracks start to show,、totally. and the partnerships. Yep, exactly. And so, always get into partnerships where you feel comfortable discussing. Hey, what are we going to do if things go wrong? Who's going to put up a capital call if we have to capital call?、Um, how are we going to handle decision making? What if you and I disagree? What, who's the referee that's coming in and breaking that tie? Right. So those are all things that you want to make sure that you are considering as you're going into a partnership.、Um, and also, and this is something that my husband, who's not in the real estate space, said to me once, and I thought it was so profound because. It was like an outsider's perspective into business because he's a physician, right? So he doesn't do anything in the real estate space. But I was talking to him about like partnerships and like you know I love working with my current partner. She's phenomenal. My sister's my partner in my company, and it's just like easy. And he goes, "Well, babe, you have to plan it because all partnerships eventually come to an end." And I was like. What do you mean? Like it's my sister, and it's a partner that I've been working with for like years and years, and years. he's incredible. And so he's like, "Well, think about it." He's like, "Either you're gonna disagree or outgrow each other, or have different strategies, and you're gonna decide to amicably separate, or you're gonna say like we hate each other and we're gonna divorce in an ugly divorce, or someone's gonna retire, or." You know, if we live long enough, eventually someone will die, right? And so,、um, they, good point. He's like, all partnerships come to an end. There, none of them are forever. And I was like, it was such a change in how I think about partnerships because、yeah. then I was like, that makes sense. So when I go into partnerships now or potential partnerships, the first thing I do is have the uncomfortable conversation of, hey, what happens when we divorce? How do we divorce? How do we get out of this? If things aren't working out, what what's the plan here? Because when you can have that uncomfortable conversation out of the gate, and you can get through it when things are good, 
then you have a shot at the best possible outcome at the end of the partnership, however that looks, right? Like, because let's say I'm in a partnership and let's say, you know, God forbid I get hit by a bus, right? And like, I'm done. And then my JV partner, my sister, who's my partner in my company, and then my JV partner, like both of them need to know what's the continuity plan beyond that, right? So we have continuity plans. We have redundancy across companies. So that way we're protecting our LPs and our investments. And so being able to have those uncomfortable conversations is key. And if you can't do those up front, they don't get easier when things are not going well. They get much more difficult and much more expensive to have. So if when everything is good and everything is like everyone loves each other and everyone's hugging and kissing and partying, right? the honeymoon phase, as we call it, if you can't have that uncomfortable conversation of how the partnership ends, then it's probably not the right partner for you. Yeah, awesome. And and especially this sounds to me a uh, expansion to um being responsible to your investor. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You have plan B and assuming one of the sponsor who are focusing on the operations is not functionally anymore for any reason. What's the plan, right? Investor yeah. need to know this as well. Exactly. Actually, I think this is the biggest question that LPs fail to ask is how are you protect? Like if something happens to you, what happens? Like who takes over? And because what you want, you don't care as an LP, you don't really care what the answer is necessarily. What you're listening for is has the sponsor thought it through, right? Do, do they know? Have they thought about it? Have they put something into place? It doesn't matter, like your plan, your succession plan can be completely different than mine, right? But if we both thought it through, they're both probably valid succession plans because it's unlikely that that's going to happen. But we at least are planning and we're mitigating risk in that way. Like, are we thoughtful enough? Is exactly. the sponsor is thoughtful or not? Exactly. Wow. Okay, this 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 is truly something that, and, and, and this is a nice surprise that we got inspired by your husband. Who's know, not even right? in the industry, right? <laughs> He's not. You know, it's funny because I always like, I always tease my attorneys and our like CPAs. I'm like, okay, if I die, please like help my husband find all of our assets because like he doesn't know where we own assets. Like that's how uninvolved he is. So sometimes I'll be like, honey, do you know? Do you know where we own those things? He'll be like, I think in like Georgia and. Texas and he's like guessing and like on the struggle bus and I'm like honey you need to know this so I have like five people that he's been instructed if something happens to me to call and together they'll be able to like piecemeal everything together wow yeah I mean just with the state of Texas it's huge if he has no idea then <laughs> it's going to be a long time know. to find those assets yeah, you know, he, he trusts awesome. me completely, which is really nice. A lot of pressure, but it's really nice because he lets me go out and build for our family. And then, you know, like we work together and collaborate in some ways, but in other ways, like he just lets me handle what I need to handle. And that kind of support system is just incredible to have at home. Yes, I, I completely agree with you. Um, so let's, let's talk about, um, you know, this year when opportunities show up. Um, mm -hmm. what what are the things that that uh, you would do? I mean, being a sponsor, being a being yeah. a, a, a GP. What 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 kind of the potential budget or wiggle room that you're going to build into your underwriting to a make lot. yourself and also your <laughs> investor comfortable? Yeah, 
a lot right now. Um, so I think the biggest conversation we're having in today's market is around the debt of the asset. Um, what we were leveraging to just like 18 months ago, 12 months ago, taking an asset up to like 72%, 75% wasn't unusual. In today's market, I am like happy if anything gets into the 60% range because everything that we're underwriting right now is getting into the 50% range. Uh, so I think it's also a matter of educating your investors too that like it's not that this is a worse asset to invest in now. It's just we're it's highly stabilized because 50% of it is equity, right? So now we have to service double the amount of equity than when we had raised uh, when we had brought 75% debt, right? So now we're bringing 50% debt with 25% more equity we have to serve. And so naturally the returns to the equity are gonna come down because the debt is so low. So what actually happens in that scenario is now the asset's highly stabilized because it's only leveraged 50% because leverage is mm -hmm. where you can get dangerous, right? And that's where you can get upside down, which is what we saw in the last crash in 08, 07 08. was people, yeah, oh, people bought assets where they leveraged it high so leverage. high, they couldn't afford it when the arm adjusted or the balloon payment came due. So it was like kind of like bad lending standards, which is not the issue we have today, right? Like now it's affordability is the big issue. So when you're looking at assets today strategically, I would say you need to be educating investors about return expectations. Like when I see a sponsor send me a deal, which is like 25% IRR on a five-year class B value-add multifamily in Dallas, I'm like, no, no, it just, I don't, I don't know what you it's did impossible. wrong, but it's wrong. Yeah, it's just yeah. wrong. It's not happening in today's market. And so I think being able to educate investors and explain what the difference is today than even 12 months, 18 months ago, six months ago, right? I think that is incredibly helpful to being able to maximize your efficiency on your capital stack. Awesome. Um, debt is something that you just touch on briefly. Yeah. Um, so so um, we're now seeing about like 50, 55% debt, like you said. It's yeah. it's terrible, but 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 like like you said, you it's you're doing less leverage. And at the yeah. same time you need to fundraise more and the return yeah. is going to be worse. Yeah. So Lower, yeah. with 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 those return, how how do you communicate with investor? And what are the yeah. potential strategy that we can do down the road, for example, refi to leverage yeah. up more and increase the return? Yeah, we can always refi, right? So we can refi when the value of the asset goes up and or when debt rates come down, right? We can get into better debt products. So debt is not something that you're going into forever and ever and ever, right? Like it's it can be a short term scenario. Now, that doesn't mean I think we should be going into short-term debt right now. Right now, we're going into longer-term debt because we want to have time to recover from whatever happens in the market, right? But what I mean is just because we go in at 6% today, it doesn't mean two years, five years, six years from now, it's going to still be at 6%. It might go down to 3% or 2% or 5%. We just don't know, but we have to plan with the worst-case scenario in mind. And that's how we really are looking at Debt. As far as like conversations with investors on the equity being lower, I think that if you're explaining why you're going into this asset and why it's more stabilized, it actually really helps investors understand what their why their return metrics look lower. Yeah, because um, those returns number can be getting very close to inflation's numbers now. Yeah, and it sometimes really don't make too much sense for the investor. 
Well, but also then like my question to an investor, right, that's thinking this is, okay, income producing real estate is easily one of the best hedges against inflation, right? So keeping it in cash, you're losing money, right? Especially today's 8%. inflation, right? Right, 8%. And then, and that's what the CPI has been consistently coming out at around 8%, right? So we're, you're going to lose money. I don't care what you do. If you put in a, a bank account under no the mattress, what. you buried in the background or backyard, you're going to be losing 8%. Now, if you invest it, right, we have to look at the opportunity cost of different investments. So, okay, maybe you invest in the stock market, right? The stock market is not making you a solid return right now. It's speculative too. Over very long periods of time, the stock market continues to go up and does well. So it's a long, great long-term strategy. But a crypto is losing money left, right, and center, right? So you're not going to be rolling in the dough by investing in crypto. So then you look to real estate, right? Income-producing real estate specifically. Mm -hmm. And what we see there is, one, we're generating cash, which is great. But more importantly, it's highly tax-efficient which the stock market does not have, crypto Doesn't does get. not have, right. And so now when you're utilizing a tax efficient inflationary hedge, you're multiplying or compounding what your potential returns are gonna be. And hopefully if you're buying assets the right way, you're getting some amount of cash flow during the whole period. And we also know that real estate, if we look at it over shorter periods of time, the value continues to go up because it's not like we can go and like, create another Texas. There's no land in yeah, the US left, no right? So it's limited. It's a limited resource. And scarce it's something resource. that you it's very scarce. Yeah, exactly. And so that's why I think it's important that investors really understand what the power of real estate is. And for us as sponsors, it's our responsibility to know and understand it so we can communicate that to our investors. Right. Those are great reminder to me even you know personally so thank you yeah, so much on that of course. um the 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 other thing is that um in in our today's market do do you guys consider a longer term business plan than 3 to 5 or 3 to 7 years i mean potentially we, we need to wait out plans? yeah uh, yeah i mean listen we typically we underwrite for 5 to 7 years which depending on who you ask, when I say it's like kind of on the longer side of multifamily as it stands today. Um, but internally, we're looking at what happens after year five, right? Like what happens at six years? What happens at seven? What happens at eight? What happens at nine? We look at a 10-year horizon. The problem with projecting out past five years really is like, it's kind of a guess at that point, right? And that's what a pro forma is. It's your best estimate, your best guess. But the problem is, is if you're wrong about one number in year one and you've used that as a basis for years two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, it compounds. So by the time you get to year 10, it's like we expected 10 Way and we off. got 50, right? So it's like completely off. And so it's not as useful, but really what you want to be looking at is how can you look at leverage? How can you look at debt? How can you look at stabilizing asset? How can you look at reducing risk to your investors, right? So the way we reduce risk is I get cash back to my investors as soon as humanly possible. So cash hits our account in that same month, it goes back out to investors, right? Because the longer you take to return cash, the more risk the investor maintains in the deal, which is why your IRR goes up when you return cash sooner, because it yeah. gives you a better return and it de-risks you from Time. the asset. 
exactly. Mm -hmm. Time is important. So if I give you, let's say you invest in a hundred thousand dollars with me today and 15 months from now I refinance or I add a supplemental loan or some kind of uh, re-leveraging, right? What, what do you think if I give you back all hundred K from that in 15 months? Okay. Well, Infinite here return. I'm playing with exactly. You can't calculate the IRR. And so it, now you're playing with the house money. So the asset is levered in a different way. And it's like, okay, well, if we hold this for 20 years, I don't care. My principal is back out. And now that hundred K is working for me somewhere else. So that's also the power of real estate is it's highly scalable. Awesome. And so when, when you're communicating with your investor, do you just leave some sort of flexibility down the road and say, hey, we are going to reassess in five years and we may decide to keep it longer or we go sell it or refi it? Is that something that you guys build into a PPM? Uh, we do build it into the PPM. It's not something we necessarily spend a lot of time talking about because realistically, once we buy an asset, Every quarter, we reevaluate and exit on it. So from the time we buy it till we exit it, we're reevaluating it. Um, if the situation came up at that point in the future, because we don't ever plan on a refinance as part of our strategy. If we did, our numbers would probably look a lot better than they do, right? But so what we do is we'll go into the deal. We'll know that this is a potential option for us, right? But it doesn't mean we absolutely will do it. If we decide to do it at that point, because we think it's in the best interest of investors, then we'll communicate it and we'll have a deeper conversation because we'll have more tangible points. What you don't want to do when you're raising capital at first is you don't want to overwhelm your investors with too much information. And too it's many. already a lot of information out of the gate. And it's such an uncertainty yeah. in the future. There's no point in talking about it now. But Good point. if an investor asks me, hey, what happens if we can't exit in five years? Then, of course, I go deeper into that. But if an investor isn't specifically asking about this, then it might not be something we spend a lot of time on. So basically make it available, but um, you only share when they ask. Yeah, I only dive into details if they ask, but it's in our PPMs. Awesome, awesome. Okay, Vina, today you have create or you have put in a lot of great valuable content to us i really appreciate your time and uh to be respectful to your time we have another maybe eight or nine minutes um yeah. do you have any words or wisdom that you want to share to our audience uh, oh, i leave the floor to you yeah i think like my favorite quote when it comes to real estate investing right is like the best time to invest in real estate was or the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is today, right? And the same with real estate. The best time to invest was 20 years ago. You would have made boatloads of money now. But if you haven't invested yet, today is the next best time because you don't want to look back 20 years from now and go, man, I wish I would have done that, right? And so I would say it's absolutely overwhelming. It's absolutely scary, but find partners, find community, find mentors that you can rely on and turn to and learn from and work with and collaborate with because those people are going to be what really help you be successful in this space. Yeah. Real estate is a team sport and you can't eliminate that enough. Um, and learning from experts, especially the female leaders in the space is something that you have to keep in mind. People like Mina Jetty, she, she not only knows a lot, she not only has done a lot, she has also shared a lot. And like today's episode, you would learn that, hey, she's not holding anything back. She's just sharing everything and be transparent. 
Um, Vina, I, I can't say enough. Thank you to you. I really appreciate your time. If you're open-minded, I would love to have you back any anytime, whenever you, you feel like it. Yeah, of course. I mean, I I love hanging out with you. We had so much fun that day on the bus and like walking your properties. And I've been looking forward to this all week, so I'm excited we got a chance to do this. Let's do it again. Sounds good, Vina. I will send out the、uh, the invite、uh, later on. I really appreciate you. Thanks again. All right, you too. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate you.